Good morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And this verse is before it's, it's over all the verses that we've been studying these last few weeks. It's a sort of heading. In chapter 5, verse 21, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians and to us, essentially, he said, look carefully then how you walk. And again, walk is Paul's favorite metaphor for living the Christian life. It's a walk. Look carefully, Christian, then how you walk. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So part of the Christian walk is that Christians are looking to submit to one another, and that is out of their reverence for Christ. This is a, a deferring humility. Out of our love for Jesus, then we have a willingness in our hearts to put other Christians first. We have a willingness to put other Christians first. And then Paul goes on to give us lots of examples of what that submission, putting others first, what that looks like in all kinds of our relationships. So then in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, Paul described the submission of a wife to her husband. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul described the submission of a child to his parents. And that brings us to our text today, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And here, Paul will describe the submission of a bond servant to his master, or a slave to his master. Now, the first two have been, I'd venture to say, relatively easy for us to relate to and apply. Relationship between a husband and a wife, relationship between kids and their parents. It's relatively easy for us to relate to that and to apply that. But this third this relationship between a bond servant and their master, that's a lot more difficult for us to relate to. But it's here, and we don't skip any of the Bible. It's all useful and good for us. So we want to understand what this means and how it applies to us. But because it's somewhat unrelatable by, by way of introduction, I need to say three things first. Three things regarding bond servants and masters. And I think these three things, real quickly, I think they'll be helpful to set us up to work through the text together. So number one, uh, servitude was widespread in Paul's day. Servitude was a, a major institution in Paul's day. In a large city like Ephesus, 
we estimate that a third of the people were slaves. So a third of the people, as this word goes out to the Ephesians, a third of them were probably slaves. It is estimated that in the Roman Empire at the time Paul was writing, imagine this, there were 60 million slaves. They actually made up the vast majority of the workforce. The vast majority, which means that most jobs, think about all the jobs today. In that day, most of the jobs would have been carried out by these bond servants. So that's one thing to, to be aware of. Secondly, that servitude that existed in Paul's day was not the same thing as historical slavery in North America. Because when we hear bond servant or when we hear slave or slavery, most of us have things that come to mind because of what we know has happened historically here in North America. Well, that's not exactly, maybe not even close to the sort of relationships Paul is describing that existed in the Roman Empire in the first century. Uh, in that day, slaves were rarely kidnapped or trafficked in the way they were in the 17th through 19th centuries. Many slaves in Paul's day actually became slaves voluntarily. And they would become slaves voluntarily in order to pay off a debt. And they would be freed once the debt was paid. So it's different than what we might be thinking. And yet, here's the third thing to note. The third thing. Servitude in Paul's day, it did share some sad similarities to historical North American slavery. This was not a good thing. Slaves were wrongly seen as property. And they were often abused. We know many bond servants in Paul's day even committed suicide, which tells us, as one commentator remarks, that is sufficient evidence that cruelty toward these bond servants was widespread. So those are just three points to sort of understand what Paul had in his mind and the Ephesians had in their mind when he now addresses them as bondservants and, and masters. Now some preachers, and you've probably heard this, when, when they come to this text, when they deal with this text, or, or a very similar text that we'll look at in Colossians chapter 4, some preachers have drawn a, a very straight line from this slave-master relationship in antiquity to the employer-employee relationship today. And so you might have, I've heard several sermons that draw a sort of straight line and says, here's how we should apply this. This is basically what we have today between an employer and an employee. But based on those three introductory points I just made, I don't think we can in good conscience do that. To be sure, 
there are some principles here that apply to yours and, and, and my work, and I'll point those out. But again, this institution was very unique to Paul's day, and we really have nothing like it in our culture now. So we're not going to be able to draw a straight line and say this is exactly what this looks like today. And yet, here's the main point behind what Paul is saying here. You always want to do that when you're reading Scripture. Understand what is, this, what is the main theme here and what is the main point here. It's certainly important to do that if we're going to have a sermon. So if we're to step back and read what Paul says, here is the main point. And it is a striking point. It is a profound point. And this point, it definitely applies to us today, right now. So here's my summary of Paul's main point in this text. Even slaves and masters under the lordship of Christ and in light of the gospel must do good to one another. And that's a striking point. That's a profound point. And that will have a lot of implications for us today. That even slaves and masters under the lordship of Christ and in light of the gospel must do good to one another. Regardless the nature of our varying relationships at work, at school, at a church, in our home, we are all called to do good to one another. So may Paul help us just do that through our text today. But first, let's pause. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you always in desperate need of your help. We ask that through your word and by your spirit, you would teach us now so that we would love you more deeply. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please open your Bibles, if you haven't, to Ephesians chapter 6. Or I heard a pastor the other day, he said, please open your Bibles or turn them on. That's a weird day we live in, isn't it? Most people my age, they're, they're bringing their phones, and I'm, I'm telling my kids all the time, this is not the same thing. This is not the same thing. Stop it. Stop it. But they do it, and they open an app on their phone, and they scroll, right? They scroll. I heard a pastor once say, and I totally agreed with him, that he loved the sound. You know where I'm going with this? When he would preach a sermon, his favorite sound, he thought it was one of the best sounds in the world, was hearing people flip the pages of their Bible. And I totally agree. I love that. But you hear that a lot less today. Maybe you could say you see the light of God's word, though. Look out and see the light of God's word shining on their faces. That's a stretch. Ephesians chapter 6. And if you really want to be an overachiever today, you can look at Ephesians chapter 6. And then if you want to put your hand or maybe a ribbon or a piece of paper in Colossians chapter 4, because these are Paul says something very similar to the church in Colossae that he says here. And 
I'll highlight that. And so you may want to be able to go back and forth. Again, here in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, that's what we're looking at today. Paul's overarching point is that even slaves and masters under the lordship of Christ and in light of the gospel, even they must do good to one another. And Paul, he will make that point first by addressing slaves. You're seeing this is his pattern. This is, this is what he does. First, he's going to address the slaves in verses 5 through 8. He's going to call them to do good to their masters, to do good to their masters by obeying them from their heart for the Lord. And then in verse 8, he'll remind them of what they know, what they know that's going to enable them to do good to their masters. And then second, Paul will turn to those who are masters in the church, and he's going to call them to do the same thing, to do good to their bondservants. And then he's also going to remind them of what they know that's going to enable them to do good to their servants. So let's begin by reading Paul's words to slaves. And we'll read our four verses here and then work through them one at a time. So here's verses 5 through 8, chapter 6 of Ephesians. Bond servants, he's speaking to them. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will is to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So here Paul, generally speaking, I hope you would agree, calls bond servants to do good to their masters. This is how he summarizes their behavior in verse 8. Whatever good anyone does. And more specifically, this good, we see in verse 5, the way these bondservants were to do good to their masters was by obeying them. Verse 5, bondservants obey your earthly masters. And then in the verses to follow, the end of verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, Paul describes what this obedience should look like. And we learn two things. Bondservants should do good to their masters by, number one, obeying them from the heart, and number two, obeying them for the Lord. He's calling these bondservants to obey their masters, to do good to their masters, and to do good to their masters by obeying them from the heart and for the Lord. This is probably a good time to just pause and address what some of you might be thinking. It's something I can remember thinking in the past reading this text. I've known many Christians who have struggled with what Paul has to say here, understandably. So here's what some might be thinking now, or maybe you've thought it before, or maybe you're going to be thinking it now that I'm going to say it. Why doesn't Paul here, if he's going to address bond servants and masters, this, he's going to bring up this institution, why doesn't Paul tell slaves to run? 
Why doesn't Paul tell slaves to resist? Does seem odd that he calls slaves to obey? Or why doesn't he call them to fight? Or why doesn't Paul use this opportunity to say, hey, this servitude is all wrong? Why did Paul say that? Why even address bond servants? Why not just address the masters and tell them they needed to release these slaves immediately? This is the way I find myself interrogating Scripture and asking why certain things are said and not said. Why doesn't Paul clearly right here appeal to Christians in general and rally them to abolish this practice? Those are fair questions. And I'm not sure I have an answer. That's probably not a good idea for pastors to raise questions they don't have answers to. I'm being honest. I'm not sure I have an answer because... I think it's impossible to know for certain why Paul doesn't say what Paul doesn't say. Just why doesn't someone say what they don't say? I'm, I can't be sure. But this much is clear, and I found this helpful for me. So if I just sort of dragged you into my struggle, or, or maybe you had the struggle already, I've found that this answer is true, and for me, it's, it's been enough, and it's been what I needed to know. These words from God, okay, here in the text we're looking at today and elsewhere in Scripture, especially the New Testament, okay, these words from God understood by God's people caused the immediate transformation and eventual destruction of this institution. And that's indisputable historically. That God's people understanding these words from God and what God has to say about humanity in the New Testament, historically, God's people getting that and understanding that, that caused in that day the immediate transformation of this institution and eventually that's what led to the destruction of this institution. And for me, that's been good to know. Nevertheless, here was Paul's instruction for the bond servants that were in Ephesus. First, they should obey from the heart. They should obey from the heart. That is, they should obey sincerely. They should want to obey. They should mean to obey. That is what Paul means in verse 5. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. And in verse 6 when he says, from the heart. And in verse 7 when he says, rendering service with a good will. He means that they, they should not be two-faced about this. They should not be hypocritical about this. They should, what a call, they should willingly obey their masters from their hearts. 
Imagine being a slave and hearing those words from the pulpit in church. Bond servants in that day were typically considered part of the family. They would have been in attendance. Imagine a bond servant who was treating, treated well, as many were, hearing this. And then imagine a bond servant who was mistreated hearing this. What a, what a call. And then second, they should obey for the Lord. They should obey for the Lord, from the heart and for the Lord. This is exactly what Paul told submissive wives and children in the verses before. When wives submit to their husbands and when kids submit to their parents, they are not ultimately doing it for their husbands or for their parents. They're doing it for the Lord. And that is the same thing here. In fact, Paul is even more emphatic with slaves than he was with wives and children. If you look, Christ is mentioned in each of these verses. He's mentioned in verse 5. Obey with a sincere heart as you would Christ. In verse 6, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, in other words, not for men, but as bond servants of Christ. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. When Paul addresses the bond servants in Colossae, if you want to go over to Colossians and look there. I might have said chapter 4. I meant to say Colossians chapter 3. I don't remember which I said. In Colossians chapter 3, there's a parallel text. In verse 22, Paul says to the bond servants in that city, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men. You know, one of the things I think when I read these verses, I think, and sometimes I think my calling is difficult. I think what God has called me to do in life is hard. And I imagine being a mistreated bondservant and being called by the Lord to do good to my master for the Lord and from my heart. What kind of faith in God would that require? John Stott wrote, the Christ-centeredness of this instruction is very striking. The slave's perspective has changed. His horizons have broadened. He's been liberated from the slavery of men-pleasing into the freedom of serving Christ. His mundane tasks have been absorbed into a higher preoccupation, namely the will of God and the good pleasure of Christ. Ask yourself, what is the what is the why behind your obedience? We're all under authority. 
Every single one of us is under some sort of authority, some more than others. What is the, the why behind your obedience? If you've got a job, what is the why behind your work? You do it for God. That's the call. We do it for God. We, we obey for God. That supplies motivation when you don't otherwise have it, which might be a lot. Okay, that's right. I'm doing this. I don't want to do this, but that's right. I'm doing this for God. It certainly raises the standard because I'm doing this for God. And it brings meaning, doesn't it? It brings meaning to seemingly mundane and meaningless work. And we all know what it is to have just ordinary, mundane, routine, feels meaningless work. But this injects great meaning into everything we do if we're obediently doing whatever we're doing for the Lord. I'm not just doing this for you. This isn't just for you. This isn't about you. I am doing this under you for the Lord. Which means there's great purpose in what I'm doing. There's great meaning in what I'm doing. Which is encouraging. So Paul is saying bondservants must do good to their masters by obeying them from the heart and for the Lord. Most of us can't imagine how difficult that would be. Paul knows that, by the way. And so in verse 8, he reminds them of something. God's word is always so kind to do this. Because we, we, we receive these very high callings. And then we receive even, even higher grace. So that we're equipped to, to do what God calls us to do. So here's the foundational knowledge here, verse 8. Here's the foundational knowledge beneath their obedience. In other words, here is what you know. He's telling these bondservants, hey, here's what you know that's going to enable you to obey your masters from your heart and for the Lord. Verse 8, knowing. So you do all that knowing. Knowing what? That whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. Just sit in this for a minute. If you want to flip over to Colossians 3, you'll see almost the same thing Paul says there. In Colossians 3, verse 24, he just gives a little more detail there knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So for the bondservant that would be wrestling with this, what will I receive? What will I receive for all my work? I get it. I'm doing this. I need to do it from my heart and for you. It's a high calling. What will I receive for all my work? It, 
it's a it's a natural question, isn't it? I would say it in a way that sounds kind of bad and selfish, but we often think this way. We count the cost of something and we're asking what's in it for for me. What will I receive? The bondservant might ask for all my obedience. For many of them, obviously, there's no, there's no paycheck. There's no finish line. There might not even be the hope of future freedom. So what am I going to receive for all this good that I'm to do? And what does Paul say? to those who do good to their masters for the Lord. It's incredible what he says. He says, God will compensate you. There's no getting around it. God will compensate you. God sees you. God sees your work. It does not go unseen. And you will be rewarded for it. And what's the reward? You got to believe this. Your reward in heaven will be great. That's true for all of us as Christians, isn't it? This isn't why we obey the Lord. This isn't why we do good to others. If we do that, we've turned the gospel upside down and we've made it about our works and earning or deserving God's grace and love. No, no. We've received the grace of God. We've received his love. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. Our hearts are now filled with love and thanksgiving and gratitude. And now out of that, we obey God, we trust Him, we want to honor Him, we want to please Him. And that work of honoring Him and pleasing Him, it will be very difficult, it will be very hard, and sometimes there will not be a finish line in sight in this life, and there will be no reward sometimes in this life of any kind for whatever it is that you're doing. But Paul says to them, God sees you, and God will reward you. Your reward will be in heaven, and it will be great. Now, if we just dismiss that, and we just say, well, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm talking, I'm talking now. Like I'm talking in six months, or in a year, or five years, or 50 years. And listen, if we're thinking like that, you just don't understand how great a thing God just said to you. You know, as if you're going to be in heaven for a million years and look back and say, you should have made this happen 10 years earlier. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? The question is, do we really have faith? Do we believe God? 
do we take him at his word? This life is a vapor, scripture says. It's here and it's gone. That's why it can call the worst affliction that you and I might experience. It can call it in the grand scheme, do you know? Momentary affliction. Momentary. This doesn't, this doesn't feel like a moment. This wouldn't feel like a moment to these bond servants. Well, it's a moment. It's a blip in eternity. Far-reaching implications of that that we don't have time to get into. So Paul next turns to masters, and he, he simply has this to say, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Okay, so everything I just said to bonds, he just doesn't repeat it. Also a high calling. Do the same to them. And he says, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's break this down. Do the same to them, that is, do good to them. So also from the heart, also for the Lord. And then for example of what doing good looks like, Paul says, stop this, stop your threatening. Because that was widespread, evidently. Do good to your servants. And then just like he did for the bond servants, look, Paul gives the foundational knowledge necessary for masters to be good to their slaves, even though the air they breathed in that culture was, master, you are better than your bond servant. Master, you are not equal to your bond servant. Your bondservant is beneath you. Your bondservant is your property. And so for Paul to say, no, you need to do good to them from your heart and for the Lord. And every, everyone around them, the air they breathe is saying, that's, that's ridiculous. What are you thinking? What are you doing? You're turning society and culture upside down, acting that way towards a bondservant. So what does Paul say? They know that's going to enable them to do that and go against the cultural current, knowing, verse 9, that he who is both, I love the way Paul says this, their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. He, he strips the title of master from them. Right? Master, bond servant. And what does he do? He says, no, you're not actually the master. Your father in heaven is the master. And he is the master to you both and shows, watch this, and shows no partiality. That's beautiful. You see why this led to what it led to? Do you see why Christians that grasp this looked at the institution of slavery and said, this is all wrong. This cannot be. And we're responsible for bringing it to an end. Galatians 3.28 there is neither, Paul writing again, 
Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all, what does he say in Galatians 3.28, you are all one in Christ Jesus. These masters needed to understand that their bond servants were their equals. More so, they were their brothers adopted into the very same family of God. Another commentator wrote, Instead of regarding his relationship with his slaves as that of proprietor to chattels or superior to inferiors, he was to develop a relationship in which he gave them the same treatment as he hoped to receive, renounced the unfair weapon of threats, and recalled that he and they both shared the same heavenly master and impartial judge. So that's Paul's message to those masters and bond servants in the church of Ephesus. Even slaves and masters under the lordship of Christ and in light of the gospel must do good to one another. So in conclusion, how can we apply this? It's funny because I've, I've got to this question now in my, in my manuscript and I've, I've said some things that I wasn't planning to say in this sermon that have made it very obvious to me before this point how we apply this. So we've already answered that question a bunch, haven't we? There's so many ways that we can apply this. But as I said in the introduction, we shouldn't draw a straight line from slaves and masters to employees and employers, which is why this hasn't been a message about how to be the best employee. That said, nevertheless, there are principles that can be applied to your own vocational work. And think about this. Okay, at your job, you are in voluntary subjection to your employer, and you must obey your boss from the heart and for the Lord. Those of you who have people who work for you, same thing. You may be tempted to be harsh, to lord that authority over them, but you shouldn't. But, that said, there's something else I suggest we take home. It's something deeper, something even more profound. We've already talked about it, but let's Let's, let's, let's bring this home in Paul's text. Let's, let's end with this, and that is that we must see Christ before us in all that we do. In all that we do. Whatever it is that we've been given to do, we must see Christ before us. Think about it. If, if Christ could bring meaning, purpose, and value to the life of a slave which is what he does in this text. If he could bring meaning and purpose and a sense of worth and value into the life of a slave by getting Christ before them, then surely as we get Christ before us in all we do, then will come all the purpose and the meaning and the value. One author said, A great need is the clear-sightedness to see Jesus Christ and to set him before us. It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. 
or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, nurses to care for them, solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve their customers, accountants to audit books, secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Can the same be said in relation to the masses of industrial workers with tedious routine machine minding to do and to miners who have to work underground? This author said, surely, yes. Yes. So what difficult calling are, are you facing? Maybe it's all roses, maybe it's not. Maybe there are things that God's called you to do, things he's given you to do, and it's not easy. Likely, likely there is. Maybe it's a painful calling. Uh, maybe it's just mundane. Uh, maybe the future uh, and the results of this particular calling is it's up in the air. It's, it's uncertain. Well, what could you glean from this text? Well, remember that you, friend, you are a slave. You are a bondservant. You are a bondservant to Christ. And he, he is the best master. Purely benevolent. And so we can take him at his word. We can love him and we can do whatever whatever he's given us to do let's pray